Hey there, this is Jamin Warren, and this is the Kill Screen Podcast. Sam and Andy Rolfus self-describe their work as overly navel-gazing, obsessed with layers, weird. From visualizing songs by Lady Gaga and Blackpink to facilitating mind-bending improvisational performances at MoMA, the duo are in a perpetual toggle between real life and the screen. Cleverly using virtual reality, mixed reality, figurative animation, and motion capture tools to highlight the absurdity of life, dream up ironic characters, and make anti-capitalist statements, Sam and Andy discovered and perfected a digital fluency that's uniquely theirs. They also happen to be brothers. Sam and Andy sat down with us to speak about the 3D studio their mom ran when they were kids, why improv comedy is seminal for their practice, and the game they're designing, fingers crossed, the first of many. Um, our mom would have big books of like Blender tutorials, like these huge tomes mm -hmm. laying around in 3ds Max and stuff. All the fun stuff was like the tribe dungeons and like form signatures and stuff like yeah. that. It was really a full circle. When it came to like 3D, 3D, it was really boring. It was all wireframe meshes. Like I remember doing yeah. some experiment. Like our mom would be like, "Hey, we need a, a spaceship or a car for mm -hmm. our company. You need something. Like, you want to make a, a cool spaceship? Maybe we'll we'll make that be the award for the thing this year." And I remember trying for like a few weeks and just being like, this sucks. It's just like wireframe meshes and you're just moving points around. This isn't fun. I'm not having a good time. I moved back to like making violent stick figure animations or something in Flash soon after that. I don't know if, I don't remember going to 3DS Max. We definitely, I remember grabbing a download of uh, Cinema 4D, like one of the first versions that was mildly clicked with me, but still felt so just hard to get into it. So yeah, we just kind of yeah. kept into stuff that was far more expressive, like, 2D animation helped a lot with that. Right? All the 3D stuff was roughly from the time we were like 10 to like 13, I think. I know I left it behind until like 22, really. Both of us went to school for painting in one, one way or another. A lot of the seeds were planted there and I think a lot of the mm -hmm. kind of mechanics of what we're into were, were interested, but then, you know, we, we just ended up being funneled into the, the, the juxtaposed magazine industrial complex of me just like being into like, being like a teen boy and being like, oh, I want to do like sick graffiti, like cool figures stuff. Like having illusions of concept beyond that, but not really. And then just us being the high school and college arts, art school system, not really having the language to the work digitally in any real way up until recently yeah. like even when i was at sac i barely did anything with 3d there was a class that taught unity when i was there but i didn't i stayed far away from it because all the kids were just making the same recreation of like a 3d gallery you could walk around in it was all like okay we're reconstructing the white box gallery that i already hate the experience it doesn't have the good parts which is the alcohol and the socializing it's the only reason these people go to these things in the first place and now you're going to make it like harder to walk around and harder to see the art. Like I, this let's sucks. remove all the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's remove all the people. Make it hard to walk. It took us a while to get back to 3D. Um, yeah, which didn't happen until we came across ZBrush, which is like a 3D sculpting program. And then it was like, which becomes like a a theme in our work in terms of like expressiveness and stuff that plugs in like our interest in painting and doing painterly forms and trying to in improvising with within kind of like the constraints of an environment or of skill set or something like that. ZBrush was just, I mean, it, its internal logic is completely topsy-turvy. Like it, it speaks a language unlike any other 3D program. It just, and it's just insane. But once you kind of get a handle, at, at the most basic level, you can just like squish things. And that's like really so much of what we wanted was just like that immediate, that's... like responsive, squishy. It's functionally real time in that capacity. And a lot of my early shows doing like live visuals, puppeting and sculpting ZBrush characters. Especially ZBrush with the UI. So I was like, okay, 
I'm getting into photogrammetry at the time because at the time I was still like a semi-professional photographer. So I was like, I can kind of understand this from this angle now. It wasn't really until I like I started working at this uh, fashion company slash agency, Two Hustlers. Not until then did I fully get back into Cinema 4D. I think that's when I started actually getting into ZBrush. Cause, Cause I was like, okay, I can't just do procedural stuff or just like rely on Sam to, <laughs> to sculpt everything. It's like, no, I need to actually learn this. Finally learned it. Finding something that like was immediately responsive and expressive is like, that was the key thing for us finding ZBrush and Unreal and mocap and live stream stuff. Everything that we kind of get into with this whole trajectory kind of arises from that kind of immediate visceral response responding to in the moment to whatever external environmental stimuli maybe setting mm -hmm. now these days setting those those situations up for ourselves partially and it's something that i always wanted say with painting when i was doing all these like very ornate mixed media things where i was constructing stuff and layering oils and whatever i would spend hours on them and just labor over them they became too too overwrought there wasn't like the idea got buried i was doing all this process but i didn't really know what i was doing with it and going digital it allowed me to just be like just riff basically and just kind of like create really 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 fast and then just being able to kind of like set it up and then riff in the moment and find what the actual cool thing is because you never have the cool thing is never actually what you think it is until you get in the space that's been a, a big component of what's led us through to where we are now and where we're going going next i was at the opposite end with watercolors i went to uh, university of north texas well, i got a major in watercoloring before they i was actually one of the last classes because they closed that down that kind of led me from the opposite end of realizing being able to to flow with what's given because like watercoloring you kind of have to plan things out a bit but there's also like you're still dealing with water and pigments so there's going to be randomness and the more you play into that and like know how to play into that like the better and like you know fresher it's going to be so that also i think laid a nice groundwork for being able to just be a little bit more reactive with artwork rather than just trying to just assign a single pathway and being like this is what i this is this is a and b and i'm gonna get there no matter what it's gonna be like okay there's a letter I'm going to get to in the distance. Hopefully it's C. If I end up at G, it's fine. Like, it's okay. Things will not end. The roles we fall into these days when we're creating something. Andy comes from maybe it's slightly more of a, like a photographic background. So you know, yeah. he has a consideration of light that I don't. I remember Sam sketching out like post-humanist distortive work like back in high school in terms of interest in what form is. And like you follow through a very more much more loose sense of form and i've i have gone through more of a top photographer more more interested in more interested in like the more tradesman kind of stuff like the stuff that's kind of like all right let's craftsman. just learn yeah craftsman kind of stuff or it's mm -hmm. just like all right let's just learn topology and like anatomy Proper and anatomy. just like yeah. focusing down on like these these more much more formless elements to then break it down later. Keeping us, you want to keeping us uh, grounded in reality, like keeping me from yeah. budgeting our project too insane and yelling right. at me when I get too excited on a call and I promise a lot of work to a client. That's that's part of the dynamic. I, I, yeah, it's, it's just kind of come down from our history. Like Sam, like I kind of, you can kind of take, just like take references from a lot, like me going to state school, Sam going to art school. Sam, like you making a way on your own as a freelancer, taking time in Chicago to work stuff here and there, but kind of like roughing as a freelancer earlier. And I kind of like bounced from 
internship to internship to in-house job for for a while before coming over to to freelance as like we we're building up team Rolfus. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're similar enough to our accounts where we and likewise different enough for accounts and that our skill sets complement each other, but they're close enough yeah. that we can be pretty unified with the vision. As it pertains to the project, like that that kind of is how it plays out oftentimes where we'll concept together uh, of like what is this? What is our perspective? What is, you know, mm -hmm. what is the performative a perspective like what is the mechanic the core mechanic of performing through the space that is going to be that is inherent to the concept all that stuff we mm -hmm. kind of brainstorm that together and then when we actually get into production and stuff we'll both trade off depending on what the needs are for the project like yeah if it needs to be a little bit more coherent maybe andy handles more of those forms or you know oftentimes we trade back and forth so like he'll do a base form that's grounded and i realized that it was maybe grounded by the kind of like handheld camera element and these kind of like human mocap elements that really kind of ground things to a kind of like contextual reality. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, it was all just like fully saturated, which is cool. But if you're not coming from the specific, whatever you want to call it, wannabe Berlin experimental niche that we come from, you, you're not going to necessarily understand the references and all the, you know, the milieu or whatever. So trying to establish in the same way that like the, the way in which improv comedians lay out, you know, basic groundwork of like shared reality with themselves and mm -hmm. the audience and then build off of that. Anyway, Andy's very helpful in like keeping it current and I've been working on that too. But so we'll, we'll trade off design to the characters and then as it goes into production, oftentimes I'll start handling the environments and like the arc through the environments, like the choreography functionally of the camera and the characters and stuff. I'll start building the environments, blocking them out in VR and walking through them and starting to construct different elements. And then while we're doing, while I'm doing that, Andy and maybe Alexander Bauman, one of our other like people we work with, will take them and start doing the whole process of retopology and rigging and all this kind of like, you know, intense stuff that um, I'm not very good at, that Andy is very good at, but is also very essential to how the characters move and stuff like that, which will come into play. Then once, once they've got those all figured out, we bring them into the scene and then we'll all together kind of start rigging them and maybe I'll tweak it a bit because typically I, I'll be the one doing the VR puppetry and, and usually if it's not a musician or a different performer I'll be wearing the mocap suit and then doing the camera so a lot, a lot of the kind of like the physical performance oftentimes is me um, sometimes it's me and Andy we'll get all the characters and the elements in the space and then it's it's a matter of improvising within the space and like ha you know I'll, I'll have mapped out roughly the trajectory of the arc through the space I kind of design it a performance or video or whatever it ends up being kind of spatially like oftentimes it's it al it's almost always like a one shot functionally like a, it's almost like a game playthrough it's just something that like which a lot of people fight me on but just feels really just feels really we just, we're natural. just calling for Sam to add maybe one cut in there to make it easier <laughs> sometimes they're cuts but you can't really tell and if they're cuts they want, they need to be match cuts I, there's just like something about i like i just feel like game gameplay perspective is natural something that comes to mind when it comes to just like camera perspective and performing it i have vivid memories of playing replaying half-life 2 a hundred times and i would go back into levels as like a 10 year old and i would like swing the camera around and like hit a vista at a certain moment that like a cut scene or something was happening that i would swing the camera i was like doing i was like directing my playthrough is being like this this is the most not it was almost like a speed run but like with style like for for style like i was gonna i was gonna play through the level several times and like move my camera to hit the shots in the best way um so that like a certain thing gets highlighted or whatever or like i would kind of role play with myself like pretending to be different things so anyway i felt like that was a pretty foundational inspiration for where we're at now but we'll start imp improvising and start playing around with the characters finding what their personalities are because it's you you know you think what they're, they're going to move a certain way and then the way that they're rigged they have a completely different uh, personality depending on how they're how they're rigged up 
-hmm. and it might be like okay they can't move very fast before they explode or they look really cute when they kind of do this shoulder shrugging thing or they you know or you know there's this whole kind of like facial dynamic that we never figured out so it ends up being a choreographed dance between both both the characters and then where I will be in space typically because oftentimes like it's a the, the POV is set up in a way that it's we are embodying the camera so it only makes sense that there's going to be a dialogue between the camera and the and the characters I guess so, and that kind of develops over the course of depends sometimes 20-30 takes for just I'm just recording um, maybe honing things in sometimes I'll kind of block it out and then oftentimes I'll like I'll perform as one character we'll save that and then I'll put on a VR headset with mocap and then play as the other character against myself and then slowly kind of build the pieces of the thing from there and that's that's a pretty essential aspect because it's all again it's all, so much of this stuff is about setting up the the conditions for something to happen having an idea of where you want to get like Andy said and then being open enough and having enough kind of like technical articulation to be able to accomplish that like really kind of feel out what the best thing for the space is um, and for the sh for the performance or whatever. So yeah, and then we render it. Andy might help with re doing some relighting and, and you know once we get the scene blocked out, he'll he'll go in and do passes and then render it. Oftentimes I end up being the editor because it's all you know because it's a lot of like one shots functionally. It's all it we're editing in engine. Back to improv comedy, for example, they similarly to how they you know they get a suggestion from the crowd and that you know is both serves as a kind of catalyst for them to kind of riff on, but also you know, makes it clear to everybody and it, it participating that like, this is all happening live. I think a lot of times we choreograph it in a way where you kind of have to like slowly unpack and elaborate the performative performance language with, for the audience over the course of the, the thing. Like, you know, it's very easy to just chop in, do a bunch of crazy shit that people can't really understand how it's being generated. And people are just like, whoa, that's trippy. And that's, you know, that is, where a lot of our work can go very easily and where a lot of my work in the past has gone because I didn't fully understand the mechanics of setting up those stepping stones contextually to what we're doing and like what's happening, why it matters and who these people are, what's the relation. I mean, even if it's not getting into like specifics about who, who the characters are, just knowing the way we perform and the way we animate and the way we do all these things are all tied together and are all, we, we really take a lot of care to build the performative me mechanics directly into the concept and like have that the story kind of come from there and if there's a relationship I move my arm and and another character move whatever if there's some sort of relationship between the two we did that intentionally it's not just like because it's like sick but it's really hard to un unpack that especially when it's on stage everybody in the audience is probably high uh, you know, everybody's dancing, there's crazy music going on. That's been like a slow learning experience. But, but, but anyway, to get back to the kind of like improv comedy aspect, we start out largely with basics. I always direct like the performers. And then if I'm wearing the suit myself, I try and do this like large arm and leg movements, like try and hit, you know, silhouettes that are very visible, of, you know, because like the way we have it set up is, you know, everybody's on stage in front of usually a big screen, a big LED screen or something. They're backlit. One or two mocap suits. Maybe I'm wearing one. Maybe it's a dancer. I'll be doing VR camera as well, kind of moving us through. Andy will be kind of conducting the scenes, kind of triggering the scene progression, triggering the lights live, any sort of like transitions and stuff. Andy's kind of like conducting all of that. So we start out basic, like just a body moves, the thing on screen, huge behind me moves. So you see the silhouette of my body, you see that it ripple across onto the screen. So, okay, we got that relation. That's like a basic introduction. And then we start to kind of abstract. There are two bodies that are tied together. The camera's focused on one body that is, let's code in a mechanic where there, you know, a figure in the center, its expression or its, its movements are tied to our closeness together as we're dancing and moving and stuff. So uh, when, when it's kind of abstracted that way, a body that is the result of your 
kind of movements and another person's movements really de defines the movement you do. Like the choreography that arises, you kind of set up these different um, body mechanics in terms of performance on the screen. You'll start hitting different poses and different kind of angles with your body and different kind of movements that are completely different than you would otherwise do kind of inherently just from like a dancing perspective. So you're kind of watching your, your avatar on screen and seeing what you do and you just and it just it results in like really really interesting combinations. So it's it's a series of levels of increasing abstraction. Like we we introduce, you know, the relation between the two, and then we introduce you know maybe a more dynamic camera, and then with the camera you know is attached to the head, whatever. And that's all you know fairly formalist. Like it's you know it is it's like we show this, we show that, we show this, show that. But then that allows us to to kind of like environmentally build in the narrative around them. So the, the characters, the increasing intensity of the environment, where we go, all of that is kind of present. And then it, it's, it's all about us kind of feeling in the moment, responding to the music, responding to each other and responding to the audience a lot, letting that guide where we go. So we're, we're, we're going through these scenes and sure, like using, having to rely on visuals to convey something, but we are sure. utilizing, as you mentioned, the relationships to try to convey and explore these various scenes and setups as you said like you you have the first and you and that splits off and then it grows and it has this climax and you kind of have this then you fall down into the falling action it sounds like just procedural like oh we show this we show that but i think that 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 just becomes a, a method of moving through the scenes and just like a a way of heightening things as we go again kind of like improv comedy i'm sorry i'm gonna keep referencing it you know, they establish base reality. They they raise the stakes on one absurd element. Then they you know they continue. It's a it's a continual process of agreeing on a bit on a reality. Then raising this absurdity, agree like expanding on the implications of that. So like we add in a new mechanic. Then we explore the the, the implications of that mechanic. What if this you know two bodies within this type of space that reacts in this way? Then you heighten it again. You can have this kind of dramatic action through that way. And, Sam's, and, and uh, Sam's really keeps mentioning improv, so we can get some free classes at Second City. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, but improvisation is whether it's like you you're telling jokes or your improvisation for music or any yeah. like improvisational dancing. It does have that similar through line of you of laying the groundwork then elevation, then exploring yeah. that, then elevation. I mean, we've got, we've been moving in towards more narratives, more, more long form stuff, more things yeah. that are, you actually have to plan a narrative and it's not entirely improvisational. And with that world, there exists a lot of animators and a lot of artists and creatives and comedians and stuff who have existed around say improv comedy and stuff already. And it's like corny to them. And it's like lame that I like really think <laughs> the UCB, like I have the UCB manual on my nightstand and I like, like read it, but I'm sorry. It is a incredibly valid artistic practice for just like the groundwork of audience relation to you. Cause like in a lot of ways, experimental art, improvisational work, you kind of are given a, a large latitude to do what you do, do your thing, which is, amazing like that is a huge gift that does not exist anywhere else but as we've been trying to expand past that and speak to more people outside of our kind of art niche the mechanics of like how do you like talk to somebody how do you communicate something of some sort to somebody in a surreal way that's not something that they understand like improv comedy is like a very excellent kind of analog to that a lot of mechanics for how we've been building things have been inspired by that in one way or another this is just something i saw recently that i've been parroting that makes sense as we've been mm. trying to grow more grounded but just like good good adage for environmental 3d work or environmental work is like you know 90 is 90 percent based in reality 10 percent based on just whatever just going just pure creativity 
And or so heightening. Think, yeah, heightening it, exactly. Yeah. And so we've been trying to go more towards, we've been going from like 50% reality and trying to push it to more more grounded stuff. I'd say we're like 5%, but we're getting we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's inverted. Maybe it's 5% yeah. reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. But, and that's been, and also how you go about that and retain our artistic interests because like I mean there's a whole conversation with that is like we're coming from this very niche experimental thing both Andy and I have come through the 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 art world which has its own mm-hmm. arguably very outmoded values in terms of permanence and auteurism and you know value and all this shit that I'm kind of trying to unlearn to a certain extent you know me growing up as a snobby turntableist that like you know is all about technique and all and very very anti-pop and all this stuff to give you a visual to that he would actually he would he was one of those DJs who would cart around like all of his LPs and vinyl to like all the all the shows like even when like CDJs were coming out I was just like no I gotta scratch that's the real way like how you mentioned earlier like we kind of grew up with street art like very like low the quote-unquote lowbrow art like that was that's very formalist is trying to push away into something that's not just like so illustrative as so conservative so much of an old head mentality and being able to like yeah. grow into new things and appreciate pop things appreciate things that are just like fun for fun's sake as well like how can we apply that into our work like we can have a nice balance of like trying to be serious about a topic or a narrative but also keep things fun where we need to so it can actually engage people like in a in more than one way. It's just that conversational dy- dynamic because it's like my, my whole, you know, thing about we come from this, you know, very overly whatever navel gazing kind of like very obsessed with uh, layers and, and there's this weird stuff we like doing and the broader world doesn't do that. They don't know what that means, but we have similar shared interests as it com- pertains to culture, music, art, gaming. So where, where can we situate ourselves in terms of just contextual uh, equal footing and be able to do our thing we're pretty stubborn when it comes to the stuff we work on like to our financial detriment like there's a lot of corny stuff that we probably could be doing that we don't do partially just because i refuse to because i just can't square my head with it but like you know but we still want to speak to a lot of people and so how do you speak to a popular culture like like there is no monoculture but there is enough of a monoculture that are like niches within a monoculture that you can kind of like set up some sort of groundwork basically how do you connect those dots and how do you how do you have a conversation that gets into platform that gets into because like i think we're actually getting pretty good at it but it's, now we're it's, it's like okay how do we actually get a platform to speak to those people when every time we get a shot at it a mega corporation destroys their their the company that they just bought and uh you know wipes out any chance we had for this project that, that was that was going to speak for a lot of different people so it's also a question of how does one construct a, a a place or find a community that you can speak to broadly that's not just a series of micro niches and how and is that sustainable in a world where you know all communi- communication mediums are completely captured by capital and we are creating things that are you know can play into album release cycles, but the stuff we're really interested in, for better or worse, is not does not forefront corporations' core dependencies over cool, interesting art stuff. That's what we're running up against now. Is that I think we're getting pretty good at doing our doing the thing that feels like artistically interesting and substantial. You know, building in enough kind of referential, contextual meme material, jokes and stuff, and narrative. And then now we're running up against the the, the issue of funding and platform how, how, you, how you even build a sustainable practice like that so anyway music videos so music videos have been the entry point for us to 
toward the world of, of characters and narrative and speaking to people more directly and having co you know specific concepts that we're trying to communicate because which was it was great for us because music videos are such, i mean it, it's not great for us in a labor sense because music videos are horribly uh ex exploitative on like every end it's like a terrible industry it, in terms of like the bridge from painting and doing weird 3d stuff to broader narratives and character work music videos are kind of situated in the middle where it's like you know we can take our this visual style it's all you know so often it's about vibe and you're trying to con convey a narrative without dialogue oftentimes or with if dialogue it's just lyrics trying to convey something addition that may kind of like heighten it and it comes to the added benefit of that you know in the the current cultural configuration music and i'd say music and games people care about them more which is understandable it's more of a utility throughout their day than say visual art is so games are something that people can engage with there's there are inbuilt narratives and sim similar with music it's something people can listen through the day and kind of dance with and that's a way that we've been able working with musicians starting to learn understand how do you develop a story how do you sneak in all the substantial kind of artistic stuff you want to do among all the kind of whatever other kind of motifs that they're trying to put in then speaking to an audience understanding how it bounces off a community that you don't you're maybe slightly more part of because we like this musician too but it's not like our scene necessarily like how do i speak to them what's going to work well with them and from there we we're moving more towards, yeah, like narratives and towards games, towards interactive stuff. I think the stuff that's like most rewarding and fun oftentimes are just like little skits we do, just like fun, things that we do in lieu of these bigger series that we're trying to, to, to make happen. It's, the live shows are exhausting, but really fun. It's the same setup functionally in terms of performance oftentimes as a music video. Like we're in 3 VR, we're in 3D, we're in mocap, and you've got the scene set up, you've got some certain possibilities, but you have this X factor of the audience and what they what they think is funny, what they, you know, if you have enough people on their toes riffing on that, you can really have this like super crazy fun experience that it may depend on how, how broadly that'll appeal to people because following a streamer, you get this context over a series of perform of shows or whatever, streams or whatever, to understand them. Sometimes if it's not like a game or some other thing that people readily understand, you know, outside of that bubble, it's not necessarily as readily understandable. So there, it comes with its own kind of considerations. Um, Usually mm -hmm. the thing you can, you can count on the most is that people are, the audience is the chaos element, especially if it's online. I mean, that lends itself to comedy. Like a lot of our live shows that were with like Super Deluxe and, and other like live, mm -hmm. live, live streams specifically, like live shows that are, are intermediated by, by the internet. It's stuff like, them them where you know we kind of hit we hit kind of like a dry patch and we just like start figuring out like what this character's name is and the audience just submits a bunch of like trolly shit but if they but right. all the trolly shit they submit gives us an idea for who that person's character is and they were just completely just trying to be an asshole in the chat but you know it, it gave us something to kind of go off of yeah a lot of foundation work came from interacting both interacting and watching Super Deluxe because they very much had like a lot of interaction with their audience and like the audience had like significant impact on what they did. The One of the shows we, we probably reference almost every time, Daniela Hamilton's, like, she wrote and produced this series. It was a telenovela. They did it like four times over an hour, I believe. Basically, you choose your own adventure and the audience would change every different aspect of how the story would play out. They were very great at like knowing their audience and knowing what to give them and how to make it fun for everyone. Yeah. And I think that laid yeah, a I mean, very important groundwork for our understanding of the audience and how we can play with them as we get better at our own tools. How do we recreate that? Yeah. I mean, still to this day, the stuff that was happening at the live Super Deluxe was, was the forefront of the art form as far as I'm concerned. Like the, the level of integration that they had 
built out through Facebook and the way the mechanics that they understood how, I mean, a lot of it was just basic voting, but like just like establishing, like bringing comedians in and riffing and pulling, pulling comments, pulling profile pictures, letting that determine a lot of different things, just like, just like wacky stuff, bring people in kind of outrageous things, not seeing anyone not at Twitch, not at any of these other places. Like we really could be in a golden age of, of like interactive stream right now. And it just really hasn't happened. And I lay the blame of that completely at the foot of market consolidation, vertical integration, mega corporations buying up these studios and then consider, then mm-hmm. not understanding them, thinking that they're redundant and then axing them. It's happened to us like four times now that we've we've had major yeah. projects planned with, with a lot of these people from Superlux and that, that, that end up getting yeah. destroyed. The non-gaming live stream space is, is empty right now functioning. There's a lot of people who are trying to do it who are really, really, really good who are internally working at these different companies and they just, they get fired and they have their stuff turned over. This is not breaking news that uh, monopolistic consolidation of these markets is like bad right. for creativity, but that's been the story for us for the last few years. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, they might just get bought like if we're, if we're not changing the underlying economic conditions, I don't see the end result changing. Like the, the, the same formula is still in place. So why should we expect a different result? We feel best in this kind of experimental space. We've been doing so-called virtual production in quotes for since before there was Unreal had a, like a way to animate like this. Like I was for our first videos, yes. I was palming the heads, the a prototype Oculus headset in my hand and recording just screen capturing because there was no sequencer in Unreal to like make animations. We've been doing this for years. We've Unreal, been there with the growing pains. <laughs> the relation of like experiment, doing experimental art within a, a, a commercial market of any kind is fraught and you can't claim ownership to anything and that's fine. And I'm coming to terms with that and we're really just trying to make a living doing our weird thing. We don't need yeah. any credit for originating anything. It's totally fine. I just want to pay rent and like do my weird stuff right. and it's fine. Yeah, it's really just like, hey, like it's cool. Like competition's fine. Like all of this is normal, but like, yeah, could we get a job to pay rent for one or two Which months? Which we do. It's, just, yeah, we it's do. just a matter of yeah. making it sustainable and yada yada. Yeah. We're working on, I mean, right now we're in this weird place where we're we're all the stuff we've been babbling about in terms of like where we want to go with longer form formats and series and characters and stories and stuff like that so one one thing we're finishing up we're putting together like a a game basically like people have always wanted us to to do a game and andy and i were were, we've been talking for a long time about yeah i yeah i mean Partially it was like, we, it, it, I mean, we're making, we're functionally, all of our videos are games, right? Like yeah. They're all playable to a certain extent. It's just only we can play them and they're not very optimized. But you know, with that context, and then also we've been looking for like games impact people in a, in a much deeper way right now than many other forms. But aside from them, just, just, just commercially, just monetarily, just sustainably, we were thinking of like, okay, you know, what's the model? Patreon, that's kind of interesting. We used to have this webzine stuff, but I don't really know what, I don't really want to get into interviews and stuff again. Okay, what if we do this like game, but then what we're gonna, like we don't have any money to, to pay people on spec for six months to start building this thing. Like, how are we gonna do that? And I don't, I don't want to go away and not show anybody what we're up to for that long. But we, we, we're, we're right now in production, building up this game that's gonna be audience participatory. So that like the, the basic 0.0001 alpha version is something that's going to come out and it'll be playable. But then it's also going to have this, this audience lore component where maybe some people's involvement, they can determine where the story goes, where the functionality goes. And like every month we're going to be dropping a new update of the game and including people like allowing certain, potentially allowing people to fork it and to like mod it. And then we can, might, we can bring it into like the main canon arc and, and allowing people to submit a character, submit model, submit 
environmental things and building a thing that like we will over the course of however long maybe a year or something like that build increasingly kind of like functional kind of weird experimental game built around core few core mechanics but with with a, a community of people and then the hope is that we have it so anybody who contributes like submit stuff or or you know contributes in some some manner like develop some lore or just is really active in voting or whatever is bought into like heavy percentage of the the overall like profits of the game we don't like the idea of asking people to just like work on spec just for like the coolness of seeing their stuff in there and it's way more interesting to have everybody truly participating and feeling like they have an investment in this like story we're building together so we're looking at a few different options but um the the hope is that we we build up the functionality so that people depending on how much you you put in you you get something out of it and just 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 trying to like set up something that's sustainable for everybody to like make a fun thing together and then we would do associated live streams and this is technically the first time we've really talked about it publicly and we're going to be like announcing the the actual like elements like so we were right now we're making sure that the basic components of the game are like fun and we're just building at the base you know it's worth mentioning because i like i think it'd be fun for everybody to join in and just like make this crazy thing together basically the game is like the one thing yeah that that's what we we've it's been a nice oasis to, like, yeah, yeah we're like, like we okay, have the game like, <laughs> like this this whatever production sucks yeah. like i'm i'm half dead but Thank you so much for listening to the Kill Screen Podcast. I'm your host, Jamin Warren. This podcast was produced with help from Alex Westfall and music from Lucene. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Instagram at killscreen.dot.com or on Twitter at killscreen. Thanks so much and have a great rest of your day.